What is up, everyone? My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family or friends, getting ready for the start of Wimbledon as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. We can discuss Roseanne Barr's comments on the Holocaust being taken out of context on Twitter. If you guys don't know, Roseanne appeared on the Theo Vaughn podcast last week, this past weekend. Um, that's the name of the podcast, not when the podcast was filmed. Uh, and she had some comments that she made about the media and how the media sensationalizes things, takes things out of context. Um, and one of the things that was taken out of context was the Holocaust remarks that she made. And um, in true Twitter fashion, they took it out of context and tried to run it as Roseanne being hateful. Um, and I want to be on the side of saying, hey, like I think it's important to hear people in the context of what they're saying it at. And it doesn't seem like she's she was saying it in a hateful way. She was just pointing out the media and how glaring they can be when it comes to taking things out of context. And I think that's what she was trying to go for. And it's good that there are people out there that understand that. So I do want to discuss that with Roseanne's Holocaust statements because I, I feel like that was not that great uh, to see at all. So I do want to discuss that. I almost want to discuss things within the tennis world more specifically for today's podcast. I want to talk about my Wimbledon predictions. Uh, I want to I want to tell I want to sort of give you a little bit of a glimpse as to who I think will win Wimbledon. Obviously, it's not that much of a surprise. I think we all know the elephant in the room, and it's Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic, Djokovic, Djokovic. Well, we'll see if he can win his 24th Grand Slam title. But I want to make sure that we also also have the ability to understand who else is on the field as well. Uh, in terms of who else has the option or the ability, more importantly, uh, to win Wimbledon. You know, whether it's Carlos Alcaraz, whether it is... Um, whether it's Holger Rune, whether it is Matteo Berrettini, if Nikiros can reach the final again for a second straight time, we'll see if that's all possible uh, as we get into the discussion for Wimbledon. Uh, but I do want to give my overall thoughts on Wimbledon for this year, uh, who I think will win on the ATP side of things, obviously for the WTA side. There's a little bit more parity, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but for the ATP side of things, I do want to discuss my overall thoughts on who I believe will win and we'll just go from there. Uh, but first, let's get into news within tennis, still within tennis world. Uh, very light on the topics today. I mean, obviously, I could talk about the submarine, but I feel like everyone has a take on the submarine, and my take is not that much different from what other people may have. So it's like, and plus, I don't want this podcast to be about that. You know, it's it, it's it can be a lot, you know, when you're talking about like that kind of news story. You know, especially with that and the Wagner coup, it's to me, I, I want to make sure that this podcast is a little bit like entertaining at least, you know. So to me to go into those topics and I mean, there's just not that much out of it. You know, it's, it's not that much out of it for me, to be honest with you, uh, when I talk about it. So uh, we'll just start. We'll just keep it with the tennis and then we'll get into Roseanne as well. Um, so let's start with the first news story that. I think it's kind of important to acknowledge uh, because it, it got some traction on Twitter and a lot of people, including Nikiros himself, uh, got into this as well. So the Saudis might buy tennis. 
this is a really big news story, I think, for a lot of individuals. Obviously, this was not picked up by any major publication, was not picked up by ESPN.com, was not picked up by The Guardian, was not even picked up by The Daily Mail, or even that to say, like, the tennis majors, right? Like, usually the tennis majors like to, likes to theorize these kind of things. You know, there are a lot of tennis publications that do like to theorize on the possibility of what could be. Um, but nobody really picked it up. It, it, it didn't really get much traction until Nick Kyrgios really chimed in. Uh, so Nick Kyrgios says the following. This is uh, a tweet by Relevant Tennis. Breaking. As reported by the Daily Mail. Okay, Daily Mail. Uh, I think the Daily Mail reported it. And then scratch that then. Uh, I was totally in the wrong there. Saudi Arabia is currently in talks with ATP Tour as they seek to acquire a stake in the world of tennis with their public investment fund. Keep in mind that Saudi Arabia will likely host this year's next-gen finals as well. And then Nick Kyrgios quote-tweeted it by saying the following. Finally, they see the value. We're going to get paid what we deserve to get paid. Sign me up, followed by, I assume that's eight or nine money bag emojis. Um, overall, here's what my thoughts on it. Um, I think in terms of like the ATP level, if you're like a top 25 player or even like w playing within a major, you're compensated fairly well. I mean, I'm, again, I don't want to get into the specifics of things, but if you're in the top 100 I would say, like, I mean, if you're, like, competing for majors on, like, a major level, and when I mean major level, I mean by major by major level, like, if you're con consistently getting in majors, you're compensated well. Like, you're compensated f well. And not only that, but the sponsorships as well. Uh, all of that really entails you to have a career and allows you to have stability while having this career that may fluctuate. Uh, regard depending on how skill wise you are, skill level you are. Uh, so in terms of like, if you're on like upper echelon AT player, ATP players, I think you're compensated well. So for Nick Kyrgios, I don't know what he's going on about. Now, if you're like a middle journeyman kind of ATP player where you're just struggling to even make sure that you're qualified for ATP 250 events, I understand all that. I understand why you would have that sort of belief but if you're Nick Kyrgios I think you're paid and compensated well uh, I think that's the that's one thing I want to at least acknowledge but the more important thing that I want to take away from here is I wouldn't be shocked if the Saudis did buy tennis like I would not be shocked if they did buy the ATP the WTA and sort of joined alongside the ITF I would not be shocked by that whatsoever because that's the next logical step for the Saudis I mean, they bought the PGA Tour. Yeah, the PGA Tour wants to think that they sort of merged alongside with Live Golf. But in reality, Live Golf bought the PGA Tour. They bought the PGA Tour. So when you see all of that, it really goes to show you that tennis is the next sport up for the Saudis to buy. And it's not ideal. Like, it's not ideal whatsoever. And I don't think it's necessarily good for tennis. Um, but for me, like I've always been a fan of tennis, like ever since I can remember. So for me, I'm still going to cover it, even if there are questionable people at power. Um, I, I still will cover it. And I still will discuss it. Uh, but yeah, this changes a lot. If the Saudis do buy tennis, this will change a lot. Um, I think in terms of the price point, I, I think in terms of making sure that you know tennis players are compensated well I, I think that's a possibility i do think that 
I mean, the thing with Live Golf, the one thing that they did really well with Live Golf is that they really brought the better golfers from the PGA Tour to play for Live Golf because of the amount of money that they gave them. Whether it was Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Those are the only two names that I can really think of off the top of my head uh, who really took the money and ran. And at the time, everyone was like, what are you doing here? Why are you destroying the sanctity of PGA? You know, and you had all these individuals like Roy McIlroy and Tiger Woods being like, I'll never join Live Golf. I'll never join Live Golf. I'll always vie for the purity of the sport. And then a year or two years later, Live Golf buys the PGA Tour. So those people that could have gotten easy paydays playing for Live Golf and played for the CW and got 0.0 on the ratings, all of those individuals decided not to get paid for their accomplishments. And it sucks because at the end of the day, at, at some point or another, you just got to take the money and run. You know, sometimes you just got to look out for what's best for you and for your family. Uh, so I think that's going to be inevitable. I think that in terms of the Saudis owning tennis, I, I think that that's inevitable. I, I do think that the Saudis are trying to expand globally in terms of their reach and influence. They started off with golf. And now they're going for the other singular sport that is tennis. That is often associated with golf. So I think in terms of tennis, I think that's going to be the next logical step for the Saudis. I don't enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be ideal for anybody. Uh, but I do think that that is inevitable. And that's something that should be of note and more importantly of concern. Um, now, how does this affect women's tennis? I mean... I think it's past the 10-minute mark on on, uh, on YouTube. I mean, there's no more women's tennis. Like, if that's the case, like, I don't think there's going to be any more women's tennis at all. Like, I really don't. Um, I hope I'm wrong on that instance. Maybe there is still, like, a, a what's what's the women's side of, of the PGA Tour, the WPGA Tour? I, I'm not so sure. The LP, the LGA Tour? The LPGA Tour? I, I'm not so sure about the, the organization behind women's golf. But, I mean, I remember seeing some of those WWE matches for, like, women's wrestlers. And, like, they were just wearing, like, full, they were just fully clothed from, like, head to toe. <laughs> like, so I assume if, if that might be the case where, like, there might just be, like, women's tennis. What? What are we doing here? <laughs> you know? I think that would be, like, a thing that they would make an issue of. Um and and honestly, I think that's something that right now, if I if I'm a women's tennis player, I'd be like, oh my god, well, what's going to happen to my to my thing? You know, like what's going to happen to me? I don't know if women's if women's golf is still happening. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I'm all. It's just all jokes, guys. I don't mean anything that I really say in terms of the women's kind of thing. But um, overall, like. Yeah, I think there will, you'll see a lot of changes within tennis. Like, uh, you will. I don't know if they, they'll make them f play f uh, fully clothed from head to toe. Like, I don't, like, I, I'm, like in terms of, like, fully clothed, I mean, like, covering everything. Like, I don't know if they, they will make them do that. I mean, it will, it will be weird to see, like, Emma Raducanu playing a turtleneck. Like, it will, it will be weird to see that. Or just to see any women's tennis player, for that matter, playing a turtleneck. Uh, but... It's a possibility. Who knows? I mean, at the end of the day, it's the Saudis, right? These are the same people uh, that uh, that uh, caused 9-11. Uh, no, I'm kidding, guys. Jokes. I, I hope YouTube doesn't take this video down. Uh, I really hope not. Um, 
we I love the Saudis here. We love the Saudis here. We we are I'm a big fan of the Saudis. I think the Saudis are great humanitarians who have changed and uplifted so many lives and uh, we love the Saudis. We love them. This is a we are a pro Saudi crowd here. All right. We love all their policies. We love all their decisions. You know, what they did to Jamal Khashoggi was amazing, and they should have done it again. Uh, had they had, had to do it again, I would have been fully supportive of that decision. Um, yeah, uh, we are big fans of the Saudis here. Big, big fans of the Saudis and what they've done uh, for uh, liberalism. We, we are big fans of that. You know, I don't think people know this, but the Saudis, they're, they're, the, they're one of the more liberal countries in the world. You know, they're one of the more liberal areas in the world. You know, just go in there, you know, and do your thing. You know, go in there and uh, live with your girlfriend in, a, in an apartment and you'll see how liberal they truly are. Uh, um, but yeah, overall, in terms of the Saudi deal, I think it's inevitable. I really do think so. Um, it, it's not ideal at all. It, it really isn't. Um, because, again... In terms of like wanting more exposure to the sport, I mean, the Saudis don't do a good job at that at all. I mean, they did a piss poor job with Live Golf. I mean, they tried to put it on the CW, and like the CW was like, this gets no ratings, right? Like this gets no ratings, and we put like teen rom com sitcoms on our sh- on our show on on our on our network, right? Like this this is the same network that co signed on like further seasons of Riverdale and even they were like this is horrible like this is this gets no ratings so if you're getting that from the CW right then how do you think that's possible to see it from um for tennis now granted it's a different it could be a different organization right it's a different organization it could be different you know in terms of the organization that does buy this uh but overall it's just not ideal when you see this, right? It's just not ideal when you see the when you see any organization that doesn't really have that much of a vested interest in the sport buy it up. When when their when their only priority or only focus is to ensure more dollars or to accrue more dollars out of a product and not really care about the product itself, it's not good. It's not ideal whatsoever. It's it's important to have individuals that have interest in your product so that they too can have the same fervor to pursue it forward. You know, when you think about you know regardless of how you may feel about Steve Ballmer, at least with Steve Ballmer, at least you can see that he has an interest in the Clippers, right? Which is something that you, you couldn't see from their previous owner. You know, their previous owner was like, no, I don't want to associate with black people. You know, that's what that's what the, the previous owner wanted. The previous owner was like, no, I don't want, you know, my, my, uh, my spouse to talk to Magic Johnson. You know, <laughs> like that's, that was the mindset for the previous owner. With this owner... With Steve Ballmer, it's like at least he, you can see that he's passionate about what he's trying to do, you know. So it's good to see individuals who have passion for the products that they're trying to sell, whether it's on court, whether it's on stage, or whether it's on the field. It's important to see individuals that have a vested interest in what you're trying to do. And I just don't see the Saudis really doing that. I just don't see. I don't. I just don't think the Saudis have the capability to have that much love for tennis when. They're going to make significant decisions and alter alterations to the overall product. I mean, it's just not ideal whatsoever. And when you think about it in terms of the shelf life of tennis, you know, I think that's a bigger question that must be asked. You know, what is the shelf life of tennis once the Saudis do buy it? You know, because 
if the Saudis inevitably do buy it, which I do think they will, uh, no pun intended, do buy it. But uh, I don't even know. Dubai is not even from Saudi Arabia. What, what am I even saying there? Uh, but if they eventually do buy it, uh, I, I think we'll see a very different product on, on court. I don't think it's going to be the same. And in terms of exposure, it's not good. In terms of uh, public perception, not good whatsoever. I think when you're handling with the majors of it all, the French Open, Wimbledon, you know, all these sort of um, majors in terms of, you know, sort of ruining the, the royalty of it all, I think the ITF needs to really take a step back and think, okay, what's best for the sport? You know, yeah, we may have more money, right? We may have more dollars in our pocket, but what's the expense of it all? You know, what's the expense when our public perception takes a hit? You know, what's the what's the overall damage and the repercussions for it when individuals can't be able to properly watch tennis without thinking, oh, these are the same people that cause like half the wars. You know, these are the same people that, you know, are financing, you know, us to continue genocide, you know, like what's the cost of it all, right? What is the cost of it, you know? And I think those are questions that remain to be asked, you know, um, and remain to be answered, you know? So I think the ITF has a lot on their plate, you know, and whenever you have these sort of talks, you know, it's, it's never a good sign. Uh, for me personally, I can only still cover it because I still have so much love for tennis where it's like, I don't care who owns it for me. Like I still have so much love for the sport, for the athletes that, you know, literally just put their lives on the line for it. You know, um, and I, I can, I can confidently say, uh, in terms of me, like supporting like the league or supporting, uh, the people in charge because of it, that's a different story. Uh, it definitely does change the way how I may perceive how to, or it definitely does change the way how I will go about supporting it if they do end up buying it. Uh, again, this is all, you know, this is all speculative. I, I want to be very clear here. It's all speculative. None of this is actually set in paper or signed on paper, right? So that's a very important thing that must be acknowledged here. Like this is all just speculative. None of it's, really you know outright there you know like none of it's set in stone so far so all of this is speculative you know so it, things can definitely change um uh, but you know for me like in terms of what might my, my change um um women will definitely get paid less than men i mean you can definitely assume that um maybe some, some might say warranted uh i wouldn't say warranted but some might say warranted because women do play best out of three compared to men who play best, best out of five right now i think women's tennis players like in terms of the upper echelon of women's tennis players i do think that they get paid more than men right i, I do think so because you gotta hand you gotta uh take into consideration the sponsorships you gotta take into consideration um the ratings as well i mean i do think Women's tennis gets as much, if not more, ratings than men's tennis. Not in terms of finals, especially when Djokovic is playing, but in terms of like the lower rounds, I do think that women's tennis, on average, does get the same amount of ratings as men's tennis. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but in my opinion, I think in terms of in terms of women in terms of women's sports, they're one of the higher rating sports out there. Women's tennis is one of the higher rating women's sports out there. Uh, so, you know, I, I think. Things will definitely change, you know, things will definitely change in tennis and, and, you know, sometimes change is good. But in this regard, I don't, in this instance, I don't think it's a net 
positive. I just don't think so. Uh, I want to be proven wrong here. So if, if the Saudis do end up buying tennis, prove me wrong. I would love to be wrong. Um, I would love to see the sport grow and change as a result of it. Um, but I, I do feel like at this point in time, uh, the Saudis, regardless of what group buys it, I think they're just in it for cultural ownership. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the sport. It's just them slowly taking over our entertainment. You know, I think it's them slowly trying to build a monopoly on our entertainment and the way that we get our entertainment. And that's just not a good thing. You know, now some organizations might draw a line on that. I don't think the NBA will ever sell themselves out to the Saudis. I could be wrong. It's America. People sell out for way cheaper. Um, I don't think the NFL will ever sell it to the Saudis. And if there is an impending deal with any of those sports leagues, I think that the United States government will, will put a kibosh on that. I think they will nationalize those sports leagues if that happens. Uh, so again, all I mean, it's all speculative. Who knows? Who knows what's, what can happen, right? Uh, who knows what can happen? Uh, but overall, those are my thoughts in regards to a potential deal with the Saudis if it were to occur. So... Uh, those are my overall thoughts on that with the Saudis and tennis. Um, overall, I, I really wanted to talk about this because, you know, first of all, there's not that much t- news in tennis and there's not much, not so much news since the last time I spoke to you guys. Um, but I, but when I saw the uh, fallout from PGA and from Live Golf, and when I saw the Saudis having interest in buying tennis the itf the governing bodies that do buy that do own tennis and potentially even you know trying to create their own league i don't want to see what happened in golf happen to tennis right because the ramifications of what happened and at the pga they'll be there for years to come again this is going to be one of those things where the effects the the ramifications of said deal will affect the sport for years to come and it will change the way how people will enter the sport you know will there be more or less individuals after this deal is announced who will play for this organization you know all of that is important to question so those are my thoughts on whether or not the saudis might buy tennis uh let's get into news Still within the tennis world, I think I, I think I talked enough about that topic. Uh, let's get into news. Still within the tennis world, so obviously the odds are out for who will win and Wimbledon. And uh, in terms of the ATP side, and the list goes as follows. Uh, so obviously the best chance of a person who's uh, the best the player who has the best chance of winning Wimbledon is Novak Djokovic, uh, followed by Carlos Alcaraz, Daniel Medvedev, Yannick Sinner, Taylor Fritz, Nick Kyrgios, Alexander Zverev. Uh, Holger Runa, Sebastian Korda, Stefan Tsitsipas, Andy Murray, Matteo Bertini, FAA, Andre Rublev, Alex Dimnor, Hubert Hurkacz, Cam Nori, Cass Rude. Obviously, this is just one site. Obviously, the odds can change. Uh, but overall, you get what I'm um, trying to get at here. So those are the individuals who have the best chances of winning Wimbledon. Uh, starting off with Novak Djokovic, with Carlos Alcaraz, and then heading all the way down to Cass Rude, who, who is at plus 6,000 alongside with Cam Nori. Um, overall, I think there are questions that I have in regards to um, this overall odds. And again, you know, it's it's all like, you know, semantics here. Like they're all 
I mean, I think the people that are scheduled to be the favorites to win, I think those are the individuals that are going to possibly eventually win it. Um, I think in terms of a, a in terms of my overall pick as to who I think will win, obviously I think it's Novak Djokovic. I mean, he won it last year against Nick Kyrgios in four sets. He won it the year before. He's just on a tear right now. He's just simply on a tear. And I think... In terms of people who have had the most success at Wimbledon, he's one of. The, I think he has eight or nine Wimbledon titles to his name, right? So again, he's probably the winningest player on grass, and rightfully so. I mean, I, he's one of the best players to ever do it. He's at twenty three right now. If in my opinion, he is the goat. And I think one more major. I think that will be the difference between him and Nadal, because while Nadal may have the cachet to win on clay right i I do think that for next year's french open he'll definitely win on clay if he's healthy and able to play uh i I do think that from now until the day novak retires i think he will always be the clear favorite to win now who knows maybe there might be a freak injury that changes that but for now in terms of his status and in terms of his availability in terms of playing tennis i think he's scheduled to win i do think that he is scheduled to win um now, I do think Carlos Alcaraz also has a good shot as well. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz made it competitive in his semifinal match with Djokovic at the Roland Garros semifinal this past year. Uh, but all, but obviously his injuries did play a role in his loss. And I think for this major, for this tournament, assuming that he's fully healthy and he won't sustain any injuries during the match, I do think that he also has a shot of winning it. Now, if they're ranked one and two, because I know Carlos Alcaraz is currently ranked number one, if Novak Djokovic is ranked number two, I do think that we'll see a Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz final. I think that is something that will be seen because I just don't think the other players have gone over the hump yet, right? I, I don't think Matteo Berrettini has gone over the hump. I don't think FAA has gone over the hump. You know, I think for them, they need a few more matches before we could really see that, uh, especially at the higher level, especially when playing in the top eight or top four of a major. Uh, obviously, they've done well in the earlier rounds of majors. Like we've seen that before. We've seen Matteo Berrettini hit those bombastic serves. We've seen the counterpunching abilities of FAA. We've seen the on-court thrills of these players. But in terms of succeeding at the top A level or at a top four level of major, that we've yet to see. And I think in terms of experience, I think Alcaraz and Djokovic have it over, say, that of FAA and Matteo Berrettini. Um, and I say Matteo Berrettini in FA because both of them have done fairly well in clay, right? I mean, Matteo Berrettini has won Queen's Club twice. Uh, obviously, he didn't do that well this past, this year. Uh, but in terms of grass, those are the individuals that I think of. With Nick Kyrgios, I think, hey, he he reached the final last year. He, he can definitely do it this year, assuming that, you know, Alcaraz or somebody within his bracket gets an injury uh, like Nadal did last year. Um, so, th- I mean, that could happen as well with Nick Kyrgios, but I think, you know, with Nick Kyrgios, there just comes a lack of preparation where no matter how talented you are, you need to be a little bit prepared heading into a fi- into a major, right? With Djokovic, yeah, he wasn't able to play any of the grass tournaments, but he won the French Open. And as we've known from interviews previously, I mean, Novak Djokovic has always made it a mission for him to prioritize majors over that of, say, ATP 500 and ATP 1000 events. And that's completely fine because with Novak Djokovic, that's what he's chasing. And we've seen him do well previously. 
when you're curious, it fluctuates. It, diff- it, it, it's, it differs, you know. So all of that is to say, um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we can enter into a time where we can see the Berrettinis, the FAAs, be able to get over the hump and, and be able to play the final. But for in this regard, in this instance, I still think Djokovic and Alcaraz are the men to beat. I still think that. Um, now, this is assuming that both of them remain uninjured, which I hope uh, we don't see them get injured. Um, but for now, as it stands, those are the best two individuals that I think will be able to reach the final. Unless Nadal comes out, you know, like the Undertaker and like decides to just reinstate himself into the major. Uh, I, I just don't think that uh, for now we'll see other individuals be able to, to reach the final. Um, now, again, things can change. And if, you know, Zverev or Nick Kyrgios is able to reach the final, uh, then I will I'll admit that I'm wrong. I will admit that I'm wrong. But for now, for where it stands, I think Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz have the best chances uh, to win Wimbledon. Uh, obviously, I, you know, there are individuals here on this list that, you know, I, I don't feel are, are getting enough attention. Like, in terms of a dark horse candidate, I mean, you got to put Andy Murray up there, right? I mean, obviously, he's won this major twice before, back once in 2013, the other in 2016. He's won this before, and he's done fairly well in previous years. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he lost in a set, you know, f- 7-5 to Nikola Bosilashvili, even though he was up 5-love. Yeah, I mean, there have been bloopers in his previous years, in his recent years at Wimbledon. But again, age and experience matters. And I think for him, being able to be a counterpuncher, him being able to uh, really be able to hit those lobs on, on time and really be able to slow things down, Andy Murray does that better than anyone else. And I think Andy Murray... Despite all his shortcomings in the past few years, despite all his knee injuries and lower body injuries, despite his hip injuries, despite all of that, despite everything of that nature, he's still there, he's still competing, and he's still able to succeed. I mean, he won a, a, an ATV 500 event, you know, like two weeks ago, right? So that means something. I, mean, I don't know if it's ATP 500, ATP 250, but still... At his age, despite all the injuries that he's had, the fact that he's able to win that event means something. So all that is to say, uh, I still think Alcaraz and Djokovic are the clear favorites to win. But don't be surprised if you see an upset. You know, don't be surprised if you see Andy Murray, you know, take Alcaraz to a best of five, you know, and him winning. You know, don't be surprised about that, you know, because at the end of the day, age and experience really does matter, you know. You know, you can hit all the drop shots you want. You can hit all the drop shots you want. But at the end of the day, if you're not able to really properly respond to your opponent when in the middle of a rally, they just hit a lob when you're at the ba- when you're at the net that ends up slightly just getting in bounds inside the lines of the tennis court, then you haven't really played. You know, I think that all of that really matters. You know, I would love to see that matchup. Like, I don't know if Andy Murray and Alcross would ever play in this. I don't know if they're in the same bracket. I really don't know if they would be able to play. But if that does happen, Andy Murray versus, versus Carlos Alcross, just say, just think about like a night and day difference in terms of playing styles. That's what it will be. Uh, that would be such an amazing match to watch. I would 
I, I would buy tickets to see that match. If that was if that was happening at the U.S. Open, like first off, put it at Arthur Ashe Stadium, and secondly, I would definitely see it. Like I would definitely travel the way to New York, all the way to New York, just to see that. So, um, all that is to say, uh, those are my predictions in terms of who I think will be able uh, to win Wimbledon. In terms of the women's side of things, I mean, I think Sabalenka also has a chance of winning. Uh, Iga Swiatek, I also think, has a chance of winning. You know, but that's about it because again, with the women's side of things, you know, like there's a lot of question marks. Like, is Bianca Andrews healthy? Uh, is Naomi Osaka uh, mentally okay? You know, like those are the questions uh, that you got to ask yourself if you're in, into the women's side of things, right? Like, is Naomi Osaka okay? Like, <laughs> no, like no offense to Naomi Osaka, I'm sure she's a great person, but. Uh, you know, those are the questions that you got to ask yourself, you know. So there's a lot of more question marks on the women's side of things than on the men's side of things. And that's sort of why I sort of f- focus more on the men's side of things uh, than, say, on the women's side of things uh, in terms of uh, in terms of this discussion. Uh, but, yeah, overall, for the women's side of things, Avis Rantuk, I think, is the clear favorite to win. Uh, who knows? Maybe it's Sabalenka. Who knows? It might be the ghost of Sabine Lasiki who might come out there and might win. Who knows? Who knows what might happen? You know, it might be, it might be, it might be Venus Williams if she's scheduled to play. Who knows? You know, anything that can happen in women's tennis, which is why I think, in terms of women's tennis, I think the parity within women's tennis, especially outside of the clay season, because Iguaschiantek will probably win the clay tournaments. But in terms of parity outside of the clay tournaments, I think women's tennis is way more competitive. I mean, I won't say competitive, but uh, I think it, women's tennis, as of now, is so it, it's so scattered where like anyone could win, like anything anyone could possibly win a major in the women's level. I mean, think about it. In twenty twenty one for the U.S. Open final, it was between Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez. Both those individuals have taken a massive downward spiral since then, uh, and that's putting it lightly. Uh, so anything can happen in women's tennis, right? Anyone can win. Anyone can do well. I mean, Bianca Andreescu once won a U.S. Open, right? Things change. It's not necessarily within their control. Um, but yeah, in terms of watching women's tennis, like that is the one one area where like you can watch and you can head into a match and be like. I have no idea what will happen. You know, you can't really say that about men's tennis as much as, as much as you can say about women's tennis when you, in, in that regard. Uh, so, yeah, all that is to say, uh, hopefully uh, we can expect a good ma- uh, major. You know, hopefully we can expect a good major. Uh, regardless of whether it's women's, women's or men's, whether it's ATP or WTA, does not matter. Hopefully we can expect a good major to happen. Um I think that's the goal, you know, just a nice, presentable major. Um, you know, hopefully they don't they don't find anybody who wears a red cap like they did last year with Nick Kyrgios, where I'm like, come on, like, let's show some character here. Let's show some character, you know. Let's, let's have these tennis players go through their NBA player, you know, walking down the tunnel like it's a runway kind of thing, like, like NBA or NBA players do when they head into a game. Like, let them do that. You know, I want to see McEnroe. I want to see the McEnroe brothers roast people's outfits. I would love to see that. 
You know, I would love to see like an inside the NBA with tennis. Like there's so many things that tennis can do to like improve the popularity of the sport. And I think when you like take away the individuality of the sport, you just strip away newer fans from enjoying it. You know, I know I'm, I'm sort of deviating away from this topic, but hey, I mean, those are important things that must be talked about, you know. Let's increase the individuality in the sport because that's something that tennis needs right now. Uh, everything is way too, you know, hodgepodge. Everything's way too hoity-toity. Everything's way too, um, you know. I, I mean, everything is just way too banal. It's, it's just way too banal. You know, I think that's the best way of putting it. Everything is just going. Th everybody's just going through the motions, and I think having some way, shape, or form where these players can like stick out is a good thing. I mean, I would love to see like Taylor Fritz, you know. You know, walk out of the tunnel with, uh, with have with like a celebrity in his corner. You know, like that would be great. You know, I mean, there are where there are times where you know you'll see boxing matches and you'll see you know the boxer you know come out with you know his entourage and you'll see like celebrities within his entourage and it's like oh yeah that's a good sort of cross pollination of like popular culture with tennis culture. You know, or you know you see that with you know at UFC events. You know, just they'll just have you know a guy in the back you know conversate with a ufc fighter and like oh yeah that's john mayer you know i don't know why, why i pointed out john mayer there but uh maybe i was listening to too many uh too many songs from room for squares but you know you, you know what i'm saying right i think it's important to have you know like a cross-pollination between the two forms because or just like have any form of like anyways i'm, I'm getting I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, you know what I mean by all this. Uh, those are my thoughts and predictions on the Wimbledon. And anything can happen, you know. So who knows if it can be Djokovic and Alcaraz. But for now, that is what I'm sticking to for my final. And anyone with working brain cells would say the same thing. Uh, I assume Novak Djokovic will win and will win his 24th major. If not, then the US Open will probably be the chance where he can win his 24th major. But at this point... Let's just enjoy the ride of seeing Novak Djokovic win and succeed at a high level uh, because this will never happen again. Like, I know people like to hype up Alcaraz, but the more majors Djokovic wins, the less of a likelihood Alcaraz has in terms of being able to compete on that level of Djokovic. He might compete with the likes of, say, Federer and Nadal, and who knows what can happen to tennis in 10, 15 years. Who knows? Um, but for now... If Djokovic does win Wimbledon or another major within the next year, I think that just makes it even more difficult for Alcaraz to even catch up to Novak Djokovic, let alone pass him. You know, like that's an entirely different conversation. Uh, so yeah, overall, those are my thoughts on my predictions for Wimbledon for this year. Let's get into news outside of tennis. I think we talked enough about tennis for today. Yeah, 38 minutes. Good enough, and that's good enough for me. Uh, all right, let's, let's get let's get into some news within comedy. So, if you guys don't know, Roseanne Barr, uh, Roseanne Barr, at one point, uh, very hilarious, um, and I still like Roseanne. I I, I want to be very clear. I still like Roseanne. Um, yes, she can be cringe at times. I mean, if you look at that, you know, Fox Nation special, my pronouns are kiss my ass. It's like. Did you not look at, like, Reddit or Twitter? Like, this is, like, one of, like, have you ever watched a Ben Shapiro video? Because that's, like, every Ben Shapiro joke ever. It's just that. You know, like, what are, what is up with this? Uh, 
Like I expect more from like a person who made one of the best sitcoms ever. Um, but yeah, Roseanne Barr is in trouble uh, because she made certain comments about uh, the Holocaust that were purposely taken out of context. Um, and honestly, like when you listen to it, knowing that it's coming from Roseanne, it's hilarious. Like when I first listened to it out of context and I, I caught one of it like last week. So the fact that Twitter took a week to catch on to it, it really goes to show you like the fake activism that goes into Twitter. It really goes to show you just how fake Twitter is. And, and honestly, Twitter is like the worst app. I mean, social media in general is horrible. I really do hate social media a lot, but like in terms of Twitter, like Twitter is like the worst out of the bunch because there's no form of like social cohesion there. There's no form of like togetherness that like we're all in this together. There's no form of like like enjoyment or thrill that comes out. I mean, it's social media. So there's not much enjoyment or thrill to begin with. But with Twitter, it's just like everything is just so divided. Everyone is just out there to get one another. It's fueled on quote tweets and owning and dunking other individuals. And it's like what's the point in having like a purposeful convo or or discussion on twitter if that's the overall goal is just to get more likes and retweets through quote tweets like that's the whole problem with twitter is that like it's just a bunch of just like individuals that want to like cash in on like the current social trend and they'll do anything to like achieve that. It's just, it's the worst app ever. Like Twitter is the worst. I mean, they're all bad, right? Like it's all there to just like satiate your dopamine fix, right? Like it's all there for that. But like in terms of Twitter, it's it's the absolute worst. And I hate it so much. Um, but anyways, when I saw like this out of context clip by Roseanne, I'm like, why couldn't this be the special? Like why couldn't like this like statement that you made be this special because it would be the most hilarious special ever like it would uh that's all jokes by the way because if you listen to like the the quote you'll be like oh my god oh Jay, what were you saying right there but I, I would die laughing if that was like this special like just saying all that that would be the most hilarious special ever uh but here's uh from uh john cooper john cooper uh is a is a guy who uh you know, is, is, you know, you know, is softer than baby poo. Uh, that's what, that's the nicest thing you can really say about him. So here's uh, what John Cooper did to uh, Roseanne. I mean, I shouldn't have said his name publicly, but it is what it is. He tried to cancel Roseanne. Nobody died in the Holocaust. It should happen. Six million Jews should die right now because they cause all the problems in the world before YouTube restricts this video. Uh, just let, I'm just saying that this is from a tweet. Like I'm not, this is not me. I'm just saying this from a tweet that Roseanne herself said on a podcast that was knowingly taken out of context. So just, I want to put that out there because YouTube can, uh, you know, the YouTube, the YouTube can be kind of, a uh, yeah, they can, they can be kind of sensey about it. Sensey is short for sensitive there. Uh, but yeah, he, that he said that and he put it out of context and said, is anyone surprised that sicko Roseanne Barr supports Donald Trump? And then Theo Vaughn, who Roseanne Barr made an appearance on his podcast, who said, who she's, who, whose those quotes were said on his podcast, which by the way, go listen to that podcast, because I do think that, you know, Roseanne comes across as very uh, likable, which is good for her. Uh, but Theo Vaughn said, this Roseanne Barr clip was sarcasm, folks, a clip taken out of a long sarcastic rant she had during our chat. Can we not recognize sarcasm anymore? 
And I think that's a really good way of putting it. I think Theo Vaughn was very right on that. You know, the, Roseanne Barr was clearly just mentioning it, mentioning it to show fake news and how things can be taken out of context. And it's so funny to see how people are now taking her out of context because of said words. You know, and that would go to the same thing with conservatives when it comes to them owning the liberals or them owning people on the other side. You know, there are things that conservatives do that, you know, they take things out of context from liberals and vice versa. You know, it's that's the entire byproduct of Twitter. And that's why I hate, honestly hate Twitter. It's because it's just people taking other people out of context and not really having a productive conversation on anything. And and that's the problem with like this whole like quote tweet dunking, you know, ecosystem that festers on twitter is that it just it just manifests from that it just creates more of those same problems um so overall i mean there are a lot of things to not like about roseanne like i want to be very clear here there are a lot of things to not like about roseanne right like if you look at i mean i was watching the green room with paul provenza right and by the way um, that's one of my main introductions to stand-up comedy was that show the green room with paul provenza I mean, a lot of people dislike that show, but for what it accomplished, I think it allowed individuals to look at comedy in a different way. And for the time, for when it was released, there was no, there were no podcasts back in the day. I mean, in terms of the popularity that shows had. So for a lot of people back in that time, that was their main introduction to seeing like comics just hanging out in the green room and just like talking shop and doing their thing. So all that is to say, I saw Roseanne on the green room, Paul Provenza. And Paul Provenza brought up uh, a time where she tried to like make cookies and like she took it out of the oven and like she was dressed up in like a Hitler like costume and like had the Hitler stash and like everybody was just like tense there. All the comics were tense. Even Patrice O'Neill, by the way, like Patrice O'Neill is like one of the best comics to ever do it. Like arguably one of the better comics to ever do it. Even he was like, yeah, Roseanne, that's kind of anti-Semitic. Like, and he goes there. Like, like if you listen to Patrice O'Neill's, Patrice O'Neill's jokes, like he goes there like just type in patrice o'neill women on like your youtube search bar and you'll just see like a bunch of like dark jokes about it and they're all hilarious by the way but even patrice o'neill was like yeah Roseanne, he kind of went a little too far there uh so this is not that scenario right this is not her trying to like pass off that it's just her acknowledging that people take things out of context and you know that you know (laughs) i mean the earlier part was like the election was was real and and that like uh, Joe Biden actually won, uh, which she was trying to like mockingly say it, but uh, I love that. I, I that was a hilarious joke in my in my opinion. That was a hilarious joke. Um, but yeah, in this regard, I mean, she's proving everybody right. You know, I mean, she's proving herself right when when people are knowingly taking this out of context. You know, I, and for me, I, I gotta admit it's kind of hilarious it's kind of i mean it's hilariously sad to watch because she's proving already everybody right but the cause of it all is having people dunk on roseanne when in reality they shouldn't really be dunking on roseanne because if she you actually heard the thing in context you would know that she was all all she was doing was pointing out the flaws and inaccuracies of the mainstream media like that's all she was doing, and to see individuals get this up in arms about it is so dumb. You know, it's really so dumb. Um, it reminds me of like when people were trying to go up to James Van Der Beek of like Dawson's Creek, 
which I've never seen an episode of Dawson's Creek. I'm, I'm like that show like started when I when when I wasn't even born yet. Like I mean, I don't even think that show started when I was born. I've yet to watch an episode of Dawson's Creek. Uh, but everybody was going after James Vanderbeek for like saying that because he said that Joe Biden should debate in the primaries against RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson that they should have like a primary debate. And every like liberal on Twitter, like, and when I say liberal, I mean like people that are just so attached to like you know the, like the, the the joe biden thing you know it's like everyone was like oh how could he say that you know how could he say how could he be on fox news and say it it's like it's just a debate like don't you want to see the sitting president debate against his own opponents of his own party like don't you want to see that like if you even listen to james vanderbeek like he's not conservative like he supports the writer strike like he's very much on the side of the other lefties out there right like he's not conservative at all so when i when i hear like people like oh he's trying to drift into the right wing space it's like dude you're dumber than a bag of rocks you're so dumb um but overall i I mean i gotta support roseanne on this you know i mean i think roseanne i mean regardless of how you may feel about her special you know uh, because there's a lot of things you can say about that special but in this instance, in this regard, I mean, she's proving herself right. You know, I mean, they're taking herself out of context knowingly. They're trying to spin it to make sure that she comes across as an anti-Semite, even though she is Jewish. Uh, which, I mean, Theo Vaughn asked, like, she, Theo Vaughn asked Roseanne, like, you're Jewish, right? And she's like, yeah, like, I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, we control, we control everything. You know, I mean, she didn't say all that. It's all jokes, guys. All jokes. It's all jokes. Jokes, 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 jokes. Uh, but she did say that. Uh, <laughs> she did say that. Um, in a joking way. In a joking way. That it's, it's important to say that. Like It was clearly meant for humor, for comedic intent. Um, but yeah, overall, Roseanne, I mean, she's right in that. I, I, I think, you know, people knowingly take other individuals out of context. And I think that's just wrong. I, I just think that's the wrong thing to do. I mean... I mean, it could be funny at, t- at times. Like, I mean, if you watch Much Dank on YouTube, I don't know if Much Dank still uploads videos on YouTube, but, you know, when he, like, normally, like, just, like, takes things out of context and, and does it in a funny way, I'm like, I see it. I, I understand what he's trying to do. You know, he's trying to, you know, make this overall conversation between, you know, Tyler, the creator, and, and Funk Flex even gayer, you know, which is hilarious. Uh, but at the same time, there are times where people within the political realm just take things out of context in a way that actively hurts the individual that they're making a tweet about or making a video about and that's when i think that there should be a line in the sand saying no like that's not good like you should not take somebody's livelihood for things that you want to be out of context for that's not a good way of living and then that's why it's really just dislike twitter like i like for me like i'm not like i truly am not on twitter like i just post like a podcast like a link to the podcast and then a link to the audio version of the podcast i may have a tweet here and there of like thoughts that i enjoy that i'm like okay like these thoughts are just way too dumb to be posted for my stand-up routine but that's about it in terms of tennis like yeah, I may give like an overall thought or opinion on the match after the match is done, but I'm sick and tired of Twitter. I really dislike Twitter. Like, I'm not focused on it whatsoever. I'm not even trying to grow my Twitter, to be honest with you. I really 
hate Twitter a lot. Like if 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 there was like a deserted island and if and if somebody gave me the option of only get, getting three apps from my phone to use, like it would be. First off, it would be Instagram. Uh, it would be. I, I do like. I do like the ESPN app. Uh, I do like the ESPN app because I do like to be up to down on my sports. And then it would be like an Uber, but for like sailboats to get away from that island. That that would be uh, that would be my three apps for for how to get away from an island. I really dislike Twitter. I, I mean, I don't think you guys know this, and I maybe I should make this uh, the title of the podcast. I really, truly dislike Twitter. I, I really do. Uh, it's it's the most punitive of the social media platforms. It's the most detrimental to any semblance of social cohesion. It's it's just bad. So overall, I support Roseanne in this regard, in this instance. Um, now, who knows? Maybe she might release a special that's even worse than her last one. Uh, and if that's the case, then maybe not so much. Uh, but in this regard, in this instance, to dogpile on her, to go after her, uh, to persecute her for saying the obvious, which is people take things out of context, I think that's sad. Uh, but anyways, I think that's it for the podcast for today. Light on the topics. Uh, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you subscribe to both my podcast channel, my podcast clips channel, my stand channel. Make sure you follow me on my Twitter, Instagram, I mean, Twitter, whatever. Fuck Twitter. Uh, make sure you uh, subscribe, uh, follow me on my Instagram, in my TikTok. Uh, I'm not even a big fan of TikTok, to be honest with you. Uh, but whatever, follow me on all that, all my, all my social mediums. Uh, make sure you rate and review on my Apple Podcast and Spotify. And if you're able to spread it through your group chains and through your WhatsApp threads, that'll be great to get more and more people involved in this festival. Was in this podcast, it's great. It's always a great sight to see to get more and more people in, enjoying this podcast. Would always be great. If you have any questions or comments on any of the topics, whether it's the Saudis potentially buying tennis, whether it's my Wimbledon predictions, or even that of say uh, Theo Vaughn and Roseanne Barr's conversation about media and how they take things out of context. Uh, leave your comments and questions down below. I do my best to respond to each and every one of them. I will not make YouTube short. I do not like YouTube shorts. Other than that, uh, I think that's it for the podcast for you guys today. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you guys on July 4th is this weekend, right? I might take the day off and then go on Thursday. So enjoy your extended week. Uh, enjoy your 4th of July if you're here in America. Great, great holiday, you know. America might be, you know, a, a central bank state run by the Saudis and Israelis, but it's my central bank cartel. All right. It's my central bank cartel. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, God bless America. And uh, I'll see you guys on Thursday, hopefully. Avoid the bookings. Enjoy your weekend. Peace. See you all.